So there was a you were you were on my TV show Hampton Roads Business Weekly twice, two times. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the first time there was outtakes. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, because uh, we were screwing up we, back and forth. Yeah, it was something we were trying to do with some sort of segment. I don't know what it was, but was it the actual like five minute segment, or was it when I was like, "Uh, hello, coming up next." I think that's what it was. I think it was yeah. doing the the uh, the teaser. Those are always hard. Uh, I would love to see those outtakes as well. What's interesting is there is an episode that so so we'll never see those again. I'm sure they erased the cards. There, there's there's mm-hmm. no doubt in my mind. But what's interesting is uh, one of my that show probably started recording in May of 2015 ish, seven years ago. I don't know. That's my guess. And um, then they rebranded to the word connect. And I think they still do it. Mm. I, I'm not I'm not sure. I bailed on that a long time ago. But uh, I shot an interview and uh, at Extuple in Norfolk with uh, Ned Lilly, the president there. And what's mm-hmm. interesting is I also did this other interview with Paul DiNardo. And the interview with Paul aired. And then the interview with Ned Never aired, and they oh, can't no find the video. They can't find the video. So for like a year, huh. he's like, "When is it running?" And I'm like, "Uh, <laughs> I don't know." So I would love, like, I would love to see outtakes uh, because yeah. I'm an outtake machine. Because uh, at first, I wasn't wearing glasses, and I was trying to read the screen, and I needed glasses, so I'd be like sitting there, like, "How now, brown cow?" Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't remember what we we were just laughing, and everyone just got worse and worse and worse in terms of the amount of laughter involved it was a lot of fun well and my co-host at that time was someone who had i don't know 15 years experience and this individual could read the damn screen uh so i'm sure she kept looking at me like i gotta deal with this clown like first of all he like looks like a a, um a, a schmuck you know can't can't wear a suit next thing you know like oh i can't read either but it happens. I love outtakes. It was fun. I appreciate you having me on uh, the two times that I was on. Two time. Speaking of uh, fun, we're hoping that today's guest is a ton of fun. Fun fact, our guest today is not only a twin, but he's also a triplet. Can you be both at the same time? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) What was the joke that you said to me when Uh, you first... You said, uh, how are you doing? And I said, if uh, if I were any better, I'd be a twin. But uh, I'm a triplet, mm. so if I turn into a twin, I'm having a real bad day. Well, my family's having a real bad day. I would think that you are a twin and a triplet. No? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a, an expert in those areas. I've just it's, just it's a bit I've used my entire life, and it's always been an icebreaker. That's pretty easy. There you go. Zach's big on the icebreakers. So yeah. Is that true? I thought you just told me that you stole that from someone else a year ago. No, the fact that I'm a triplet has existed, but that, <laughs> like, oh, how are you doing? It's every, everyone Clearly. says good and nobody means it. So I was like, if I were any better, I'd be a twin. And then they, they feel like they have to laugh because it's so weird. And then I, you know, bring it back. So, you know, a little bit of forced laughter never hurt anyone. Are you the type of twin that all of you look the same or the triplets where you guys all look the same? No. So we're not identical. We're identical, fraternal, but you would know we're related. Uh, like people do get us mixed up if we're not standing next to each other, but we're not identical. all guys mixture guys and all girls. Guys. All guys. Is, do are there ever triplets that are a mixture of guys and girls? Oh yeah, all the time. There's, There's okay. 
Oh, I'm from Delaware. There were four sets of triplets, and we knew all of us knew everybody. It was like very uh-huh. small. So, is it in the water? Are you guys, are your parents, been drinking that dogfish uh, head? Is that <laughs> what dog happened? Fish. Yes, <laughs> probably. No, dogfish head wasn't around when I was born. Allegedly, what? Allegedly. Um, so, uh, Tim said icebreaker. I mean, I'm a big fan of icebreakers. I agree with you. Most people's icebreakers are terrible. Oh, what do you do for a living? Uh, is is normally or or how are you good? Like they're all lying. Like most people are going through something and they're not really good. Like what? Um, what are some of the worst icebreakers that you ever heard? Worst icebreakers I've ever heard. Uh, yeah. Definitely. Boy, is that coming uh, out with the heat real fast? Uh, there's the there's the classic. So where are you calling from? Uh, that everybody typically jumps into. There's the how you're feeling, which you already went to. And it's like, uh, how, like, how's the weather today? It's like, what? And then I always put on like a really, like a rainy background. They're like, oh, it must be raining where you are. I'm like, nope, no, it's not. And then it's foggy there today, it looks like. Yeah, yeah, real fog, real blurry, actually. <laughs> I need to, maybe your glasses need adjustment. But mine do too, for sure. Uh, mine is, what are you watching on Netflix? Mm. Tim. You went to an event last night and have been going to networking events somewhat on the regular. It's been a busy week, yeah. What 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 are some of the questions that you're hearing from when people because I would assume that when you, you know some of the people, so there isn't that like ridiculous first yeah. question. But when you meet um, someone the first time, what are what are people saying these days? Well, the crazy thing for me, like uh I was yeah, I was at an event last night, uh a panel the day before. So when you see somebody uh, for the first time, it's it's weird, like like unrecognizable. Or I'm like, I really got to try to look for this person because we're so used to seeing each other on these tiny little squares. So you don't they're know a lot how tall they person, are. Huh? <laughs> well, yeah, they're taller. They're they're shorter. I mean, everyone's got the same real estate, and this on a platform like this. So um, Tuesday when I met somebody, they're like, Oh yeah, I'm so-and-so. Uh, you know, I was involved in star peninsula or whatever. And it's like, ah, now once I know the name, then everything comes back. But, uh, yeah, I think the most common thing now it's like, Oh, it's great to see, uh, great to see you in person. It's great to, uh, see you in something other than a two by two box, uh, kind of thing. But I got a really good story about that. So, um, One of my, he's a really good friend of mine now. Uh, his name's Wesley Spencer. I'm going to ha- I'm going to make sure he watches this. Clip, um, yeah, clip it. So uh, I had been talking with him over zoom. He's an advisor in our company and he was like really just helping us out navigate the what's managed service provider space, the cybersecurity space too. And we flew down after talking for like a year, he flew us down to uh, his place in Florida and he's walking up to me and my co-founder. So there's me. And then my co-founder is, Josh, he's an awesome guy. He's the typical coder. He's like t-shirt, shorts, really long beard, beanie on. And Wes is this monster, dude. He's like six foot four, but I've only ever way seen to, him. Way to really stereotype the coders. Thank you. I'm picturing Jack Dorsey in my mind right now. Yes. Uh, he's he got, has a beard exactly like Jack Dorsey. Yes. Uh, and so we meet Wes and he's six foot four, right? He's huge. And all I've ever seen is him through this little tiny zoom window and he walks up to Josh and he shakes his hand. He's like, yeah, you're about what I expected you to look like. And then he looks at me, looks me up and down. He's like, you're fatter than I thought you'd be. And then shakes my hand. And that was the first <laughs> words I ever spoke to him in person. I was like, and, and did you, I mean, is, is he right? Like what, where, what were you thinking? Like, I mean, do, do you feel like this screen, the two inch screen uh, helps your body or, or not in this situation? Uh, I'm definitely getting some help from the screen right here. Maybe, maybe the background too. 
there you go. So, he I wasn't lying. So, so he wasn't lying is what you're saying. Got it. Yeah, but I uh, I use that as an icebreaker all the time. It's like, you know the first words this guy said to me? If I'm ever at a conference and he's there, uh, he gets a laugh. That is a true Pretty story. Good. He'll never live it down. Gotta hook him fast. What was his name? Wesley? Wesley Spencer. Yeah. So you're in business. And a cybersecurity. Yeah. A cybersecurity business. Let's talk about that. How'd, how'd, you, how'd you get into Yeah, how'd you get into it? What's the deal? So in college, I went to University of Delaware. I started a software development company with a cybersecurity professor. He actually lives like four houses that way right now. Uh, and we were basically code monkeys for hire. And I didn't know how to write code. So I taught myself software development. I was studying math at the time, actually. And we were just building what I thought was really cool cybersecurity products, but nobody wanted to buy them at all ever uh and so i you know beat my head against the wall like that for like a year and after a year as like, this sucks uh you know what i should probably do is just ask people questions and ask them what they would like me to build instead of trying to build something for them and predict what they'll want and that was the start of fin which is what i do now which is i just ask people questions they complained about users making mistakes and you know managing security awareness programs. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll stop doing everything that's not working and start doing this. That was like three years ago. Was that easy to figure out? Because I think a lot of, like, or, or let me, let me backtrack. So did you read that somewhere? Did you listen to it on a podcast? Like who gave you that advice or where did you come up with the idea of, of doing that? Um, and then once you realized that maybe that was the right path, asking people a ton of questions, like my, my beef with that is always, how do you know that that person is yeah. actually a customer? Right. And yeah, I, and no. you know, in some cases I think it's, Oh, get these people who don't, who don't feel comfortable with sales to get comfortable asking questions. And that's a completely different scenario, but a lot of people can ask a lot of questions, get answers. And it's like, eh, but their wallet's yeah. never coming out. So you're getting technically bad advice in my opinion. No, absolutely. I actually, I think you tweeted about this and I followed it up with a customer who's not paying is not a customer. Stop listening is like one of the pieces of advice i i mean isn't that true if if they're not willing to put their money where their mouth is find somebody right. that will you need the early adopter well i think the interesting thing with security too is uh, a lot of people just want to look the other way because I mean, so should i spend ten thousand dollars on something now to uh to, for something that may never happen or do I wait and then be reactive? Uh, it's it's and it's sad but amazing how many companies would choose to be reactive versus proactive. Has, has it, your iPhone ever been hacked, Tim? Well, not that I'm aware of. So about two years ago, Garmin had that. Um, Garmin oh was yeah, down for like and a they week. held him held him hostage. Yeah, what was they, that called? Now was it what were they called? Ransomware. That? Ransomware. Yeah. Yeah, and they they paid if I remember right. Oh yeah, like seven million bucks, which doesn't seem like that much money, but like. It's not uh, for Garmin. And also, usually it's depends upon the cyber insurance policy you have, but sometimes the policy will pay the ransom for you. And so much of it, so much of cybersecurity seems to be reactive to me. How, what mindset do you have to be in to be proactive, to, to, to think mm -hmm. of it before it happens? So there's two, two pieces of the mindset that are coming forth uh, that are, proper. The first is you're not going to prevent all breaches. Like it's only a matter of time. You can be as responsible as possible and you can do everything right. And you can try to be proactive, but at the end of the day, it's just such a huge surface area of risk to cover 
that you need to also have plans in place. And this is what we call like tabletop exercises uh, or incident response plans that when something does happen, because it will, it's like you need to assume it will happen and then plan for that, uh, that you'll be ready. Uh, and then the goal at that point is to just mitigate the damage and make sure that your, you know, your assets are obfuscated enough and not connected enough that nobody could get all of them at once. Who's but your, who's, yeah. People so who do you, who's, who's your target customer within? So there's a group of, a group of cybersecurity companies called, uh, not cybersecurity necessarily, but a group of company co companies called managed service providers. And they are the back office IT companies for hundreds or thousands, if not tens of thousands of companies at a time, all the way from small businesses to enterprise. Um, and so they are kind of like this controller for the stack of cybersecurity and IT solutions. That they is, that like a, is that like a, a hosting company? Uh, not necessarily. It could be, but not necessarily. Uh, okay. So a managed service provider will say like, we're going to make sure your phones are working. We're going to make sure your infrastructure is working. We're going to deploy all of these monitoring and alerting tools to know that if there's somebody who's trying to steal data, we're aware of it. Or if somebody's trying to ransomware you that like they can see on the network logs, uh, all of the malicious things attempting to occur. So the managed service provider has hundreds of clients at a time. And the reason I decided to work with them is, well, I ran across a few of them early on, but most importantly, it's like, I was a young kid when I'm still young, but I'm way younger when I started. I was like 22. It's like, nobody's going to trust me like at all doing anything cybersecurity wise in their company. Like, so I just need the trust of this one company here, this managed service provider. And then I can get the implicit trust of hundreds or thousands of companies at a time. So I need to make something for this style of company, because if I get them, I get free marketing or whatever you want to free distribution and penetration into a bunch of different clients. I think that's smart. Um, I mean, because not only you being younger, yeah, being part of a young company, I, that was one of the biggest challenges that I had when I started my company was people are like, why should I do business with you? I don't even know if you're going to be in business a year from now or two years from now when I do need something. So uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's an interesting tactic to use. You got that a lot, Tim? I got it a few times. Yeah. Um, and, and it was one of those deals that I didn't realize that uh, before, starting my gig that uh i i just took the brand from my previous company for granted i had i never even thought about it yeah i mean there's always that runway i don't know if that's the right word in this case but like you know people are like oh I, how how come that company's doing that i'm like uh well they're 70 years old so they have a 70 year start on you that's right. for starters like yeah. good luck being that oh well their reputation's bad it ain't that bad yeah, but from a from a cybersecurity standpoint, though, I think that I would reach out to somebody that's younger, uh, that's more in tune with. Yeah. I mean, you've you've grown up with uh, with devices in your hand, yeah. uh, so I mean that's a different paradigm. Whereas, as opposed to someone else who's a senior, we'll say a, a gray beard, yeah. uh, you know that uh, I'm, I have a a gray beard that, uh, you know, it's like, man, you're, you didn't learn this stuff as it was coming out. Um, I don't know. It, it's interesting. How old are you? Me? 26. I know how old Tim is. 26. I don't know. Yeah. I'm 26 now. Yeah. Got the oh, hairline well, of a 45 year old though. Oh, wow. Um, I, I have no comment for that. Um, <laughs> I'm at a loss for words. Yeah. <laughs> 
That doesn't happen very clip, often. So clip, clip that, Andrew, as well. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, what did he say? 45 years old. Okay, so I got seven years to go, and I'm like trying to look at his hair. And I'm like, okay, like are we, are we, yeah, are we doing, are we doing well here? Like, um, okay, so are you a coder? Uh, yeah, I I built the first fake, or did you just fake it? And you're not really a coder, and you're something else. I've never had an official job. Like I've never worked at a bank or a software development company other than my own. But I mm-hmm. did actually teach myself how to write the code. And the first version of our platform, I I was the core contributor. Uh, and now, when who is who is doing it now? Uh, we have five software developers, one of which is my co-founder and best friend, Josh. And how often are, are do you hear them uh, on the phone, uh, on Zooms, on on Slack, just just we throw live. an immense amount of shade at your code? Oh, all the time. I throw shade at my own code. It's like yeah, I got us from zero to one, maybe barely. It's like right. We need you guys to get us from one to a hundred. Where where is the best place to learn code though? Uh, YouTube. I was going like, to say actually, you, you can't you can't go to a college or a university to learn code. I mean, because I mean, they're just they are they will admit that they are super super slow. They move twenty five years behind, right? Yeah. And so yeah. it's like so that's interesting. And is there a group of people that are most notable to follow that are on the cutting edge in terms of most recent best practices? So, yes, uh, there's a lot of like code influencers. You don't necessarily need to listen to them. What I did is I just went straight to the source. So like Facebook manages React, which is like a framework for building the front end of a website and the front end of an application. So it's like, if you want to learn React, just like go on YouTube and it's like, Learning, starting with React, and typically you'll get the code influencers, and then you'll get like the actual team at Facebook or whatever company that is responsible for managing it and training new people to use it because they just want the most adoption. So that's what I did. I was like, um, what I tell everyone, they're like, oh, you know, you got started in code yourself, Todd. What should I do? It's like, pick a cool thing you'd like to do. It's like, I want to type on my keyboard the, a YouTube video, and it opens up my Google Chrome with it already searched in and the results already there. It's like, Knowing how to do that is going to teach you so much about commanding your computer to do something, interfacing with an application, which is YouTube, and then Google Chrome as well. Like there's a whole bunch of different components that you learn how to interact with that way. Do you use a source graph, another uh, tool that is often used? Uh, I didn't quite hear that tool. Source, tool? Uh, source graph. I've never a... heard of it. Probably. Okay. I've never heard of it. It's just a repository of code that uh, you can essentially Google. Mm. lots of code that's in a library so that you don't have to uh, replicate it. Stack Overflow is the answer to that one. If you've ever heard of Stack Overflow, it's like, okay, yeah. Same thing, Math Overflow, Stack Overflow. It's like they are the the place that you go to really learn. Okay, so you're 26, I'm 38. Tim's somewhere in his 40s. Can't remember. 40, 40, 48, yep. 48, okay. What was the job... In growing up in high school or like grade school that um, most people, like they are pushing people to go towards. Do you remember? Tim uh, first. Doc- Tim first. Okay. What was the job that I wanted? No, not, not, not necessarily you, but I, like just like in general, was there a career that they were pushing? Like, oh, this is the career that everyone should go. Mm. Was it like white collar service provider? So like lawyer, Man, that's going, yeah, that's going back a long time, dude. Um, 
don't throw your age in there. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. It, it's hard to say. Because uh, I don't know what it was for me either. Yeah. And so it's interesting that you say that. And so we, we don't have to answer it. But I am interested from Connor's perspective because it seems like this generation, everyone said everyone should code. Everyone should code. Everyone should code. Everyone should code. And I, I still stand I, behind that. I and I agree, but I is are people actually getting into it? Like, is that still the 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 next thing? I think, I think it should so. be pushed harder. I mean, it's it's really it's, it's it's really really tough to compete when you have. But do you think uh, that? Do you think that you went to an entrepreneurship competition last night? Then, right? Do you think that they should stop pushing entrepreneurship and they should start pushing the way that they push entrepreneurship? Uh, from a coding perspective, and that would be better off for these individuals. Well, I think I think that both of those are are skills that you need to have. Uh, I mean, entrepreneurship, even if you don't ever start a business, the ability to think about things in a way to identify a problem and then come up with a solution, right, is going to be something that's going to benefit you for the rest of your life. I mean, it just to yep. me, it's super annoying when uh, someone identifies a problem. And then they, they don't offer a solution for it. So, I mean, from a from an employment standpoint, if someone does that, they're just essentially creating work for me. It's like, dude, I don't need more work. I, I'm way too busy as it is. But if you propose a solution, I'm like, yeah, that totally sounds, that makes sense. Go ahead and execute the solution and run with it. That's awesome. And I think that people need to be taught that, uh, to, to think critically and um, come up with different ways of doing things. Connor, were they teaching and, you code? I mean, were they telling you? code um as much as you might not believe this i'm a little older than 26 that gen no than that generation like nowadays it's like everybody coming through high school and into college is pushed towards software development in some way shape or form it's like your grandparents if they can't use an iphone it's like they're fundamentally disconnected from your family in the way and who you are at some level i view software development at the minimum like my level of understanding which is like sophomoric at best as that next evolution of that. It's like, you're going to need to be able to interface with computers like that at that level. I mean, it's I, interesting because when you have Elon, who's got 91, 92 million followers now saying, Hey, we need, so we need software developers. Yeah. We, I, I don't care about your education. Yeah. I don't care about any, we're, we'll teach you. And, and, you know, and they've, so they need developers for SpaceX, for Tesla, for the boring company, for Neuralink. I mean, it's just, that's where the talent is going right now. And they're willing to, to pony up everything that's needed to train them. What's Neuralink? The, the brain implant. Um, what does that do? It, well, it's, it's really fascinating. I mean, so, so, I mean, your brain is like a bunch of electrodes. So if mm -hmm. you think about it from a, a wiring harness standpoint uh over time those wires start to short circuit so your your hearing goes that's when disease can kick in or whatever the case is uh eyesight hearing those things start to go bad and it's what it is it's it's the the neurons uh, in your brain that's to start to age and so with Neuralink, they put the uh, receptor into your implant that into your brain and that essentially rewires everything in your brain. So people that couldn't see can see. People that were paralyzed then have uh, movement again. People that have never been able to hear can then hear. Uh, they'll be able to reverse uh, a lot of the aging and uh, establish things that were never established before. So we're never dying? 
I don't think that I don't. They're, he's, they're not cracking the age standpoint in terms. Of, I mean, cells can only replicate so many times before they can't replicate anymore. But from a brain standpoint, oh, that's pretty cool, though. Yeah, yeah, they're they're supposed to do human trials sometime uh, by the end of this year. Wow, it's supposed to revolutionize the way people learn. Picture that, like reading a book. Well, you you said you don't read, but watching things. Picture you could do that at like. 100x we didn't speed do that while we were alive. I mean, now you got to, <laughs> but I mean, I mean when, when, uh, like with someone who goes their whole life, uh, living a normal life, and then all of a sudden they're diagnosed with something like Parkinson's, yeah, you know, if you can go in and reverse that because it's just a matter of just reconnecting the wires in your brain, I mean, that's like that's huge. I mean, that's that's a really, really big deal. But I mean, all this stuff is software, you know, and Connor, you said that, uh, you're you're a self-described nerd that studied math. How in, how important are those math skills that you would learn in high school that uh, that to put into play? Uh, very important. It's like um, learning to talk is like the basis for being able to write like succinctly and communicate effectively. That's how I view high school math. I I also have this uh, somewhat of a controversial opinion that there is no excuse to not being proficient in math at some level. It's all just about effort and time. I just happened to really like it. So I spent more time doing it. Um, but very like there are, even though I didn't get traditional like education in software development, that math education helped me understand. It's like the same exact process that I just brought to software development. It's like, what do I understand? What are the, what are called axioms that I can take advantage of? And then how can I combine them in the right way to get to my end goal, which is, I don't know, a function somewhere that texts me if if one of our pieces of our software fails. It's like just problem solving. Did you know that you always wanted to be in business? Um, your own thing. Um, yeah, and I learned that working at Chick Fil A, pretty much. <laughs> what what, uh, what about what about my pleasure? You got you to do that. Um, I worked for seven twenty five an hour uh, mm -hmm. over a fry fry oven i was like this sucks i hate doing this i am worth way more than seven dollars and 25 cents an hour even as a 15 year old that's what i thought I was like, the only way i'm going to be able to convince someone of this is if i'm the person that hires myself to do it uh and so i grew up like mowing lawns and lemonade stand all that stuff i actually also had a business on amazon selling books uh so i drive to goodwill and ask offer them 100 bucks for every single book they had in the place then I could list it on Amazon for a penny, ship it for a dollar fifty, and get four ninety nine from Amazon for the shipping. So I could, that's like a three dollar fifty cent spread. So I ended up being able to make like eighteen twenty bucks an hour, depending upon how quickly I was able to do things. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Did you Amazon I, would I pay you for shipping in that? So I could list the book for a penny, and then uh, I would get four ninety nine from the like through Amazon, but from the consumer they would pay that. Four ninety nine, mm. and so if I got a small enough book, I'd say, "Give me all your paperbacks at Goodwill. Here's a hundred bucks. Get a, get like thousands of books at a time." My mom hated me because I bought industrial shelving from Costco, and her basement didn't exist uh, after that point. I probably had five thousand books at the height, and um, hired my best friend to work for me, and he would list books while I would go buy them on the weekends, uh, and then I'd make like a like three fifty on every single book that I sold for a penny. Did you ever uh, find a diamond in the rough, so to speak, uh, like a, oh, a, yeah. a rare first edition that got more than a penny? Yeah, if you scanned them uh, on your phone or just typed in the ISBN, 
Uh, I've a couple of books sold for like a hundred bucks, but if they're that expensive, they typically take longer to sell too. And I just wanted inventory in, inventory out. Uh, Tim, I don't, I don't know if we talked about this with Chris Tillett when we talked about him, but he had started this business with one of his friends and they would sell um, video games and stuff like that. And they did something similar where they would go and uh, you don't, you don't make money when you buy the ones and twos, you got to buy them in bulk, right? Which is what you're saying, Connor. And so they would go to, uh, thrift stores, uh, yard sales, uh, and stuff like that. And they would buy units with games, you know, buy the, you know, when people are trying to get rid of this stuff, they're, they're selling them usually pretty cheap. And then they could go and, you know, let's say they spent a hundred bucks on a box. They could yeah. go and turn that, um, you know, for multiple thousands of dollars. I think they both were making like 80 K a year, just flipping video games. Um, which is, which is wild. The, there was an app at the time. I'm, this is probably like nine years ago. They, so it sounds like the, the ISBN number that you would do for a book. They had that for yeah. um, for video games through some sort of Amazon seller platform app. They'd put that in and people yeah. would buy stuff. It's interesting what people will pay for. You know, people don't pay extra money for like old Madden, but um, other stuff they will. And so it's well yeah i even bought like a label maker i bought mm. bubble mailers from china because i could get them five thousand at a time for real cheap uh yeah, my my mom and my dad hated that because the whole basement <laughs> didn't exist for probably about a year and a half then the kindle came out the night i saw the kindle get announced i ended the shop that i had on amazon packed mm. up all of my books put them in my dad's suburban drove them back to goodwill and gave them to goodwill for free i was like i can't compete with uh electronic books so i'm done interesting and then you got did into the kendall house, rebel, house? Did, had, do you think kendall has won that war um for me personally no i love the feel and this like i love reading uh actually i've re- i have read i can't mirrored some of these books i have read uh i love the feel of the books and flipping mm. through it is very cathartic uh when you, mm. you finish a page but I, I'm just, I feel like audiobooks beat ebooks. I should look at my books' numbers and see what those percentages are. Yeah. Um, for my book personally, like, I wonder what that is. Um, I would, I would tend to think that ebooks are not the winner in that, but who, who knows? What I mean, uh, Tim, do you don't listen, you don't read any ebooks, right? I mean, you just listen, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, and it's a time thing for me. Uh, but yeah, I do more listening than anything else. Yeah, you gotta learn well, how you learn. It's just I'm I'm fascinated by your 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 history in terms of so you, lemonade stands, mowing lawns, books, and then you know, you got into the house flipping uh, deal yeah. as well. So, uh, you know, where have you always been? really just curious and just had that business sense that you just jump in curious for sure business sense uh you could make a lot of arguments that i have none of it uh just based upon all the horrible decisions i made the uh failures but yeah yeah but uh, yeah i mean i'm just i'm really really big in the sense of if you learn along the way you didn't fail anything at all so uh uh yeah um very curious. And actually the biggest lesson I learned probably put me in a six month depression, like where I just wouldn't, wouldn't eat, didn't want to leave my, I've always been a happy guy. Uh, 
but I bought a ha- I flipped homes in college, bought the, la- the last home I ever flipped, I bought. Uh, and I bought it because I had, because uh, of my hubris. I thought I couldn't make a mistake. I had done it 13 times before. I didn't want to listen to any of my advisors. I didn't want to listen to my dad or any of the real estate people that I had known for like four or five years because I thought I was King Midas and everything I touched turned to gold. Uh, and I learned very quickly that uh, humility it will lead you to way better decision making than uh, than thinking you know what to do all the time and not asking for help. Because then I lost almost about a hundred grand of my own money, which was everything I had saved up. I was going to propose to my girlfriend. I was going to buy a home. I was going to move out of my parents' house. I was going to start a life, and mm. all of it just disappeared because I was an idiot. What, that, what what went wrong in that situation? Everything. Like what was? Uh, it? Yeah, but like that's yeah. such. A, like so, what what it, like what really happened in that situation? You know what was the advice that they were saying? What was so wrong about that house? Do more due diligence. Uh, so I walked into the house, took a look at it. I was like, "Yep, we're buying this." And then everyone else was like, "You need to go spend some money. Look at the septic. You need to spend some money. Look and look at the roof. You need to spend some money. Look at the wiring. The home is roughly this old because so." There might be knob and tube wiring is what it's called, or you might need to update it. This might not be the county regulations. And when you pull off the drywall and you see it, then you actually have to fix things. Uh, and I listened to none of that because I thought that they were all wrong and that it was a deal and I should buy it without needing to go uh, listen to some experts. Hmm. And I did and paid all of it, paid for all of it. You could have been right, though. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what I was. That uh, doesn't pay the bills, though. Yeah, could have been right, but yeah. No, but I mean, like, there, there's a, there there is the opposite of that story too, right? Yeah. Where the let like you don't like yeah. you were right in that situation, right? And and not yes, it's ended up sucking for you, but there are plenty of risk reward situations where like you don't take the advice of people, and you're yeah. like, eh, I was right. Here's why. Now, it sounds like you were a little on the cocky aspect of it, but oh, still, yeah. like, I think there's plenty of, of situations where where that happens and it works for you. Um, I mean, I remember even, I don't even know that I told you this story, Tim, but like, so I put on, uh, my first big event was Start Norfolk, which is like a build a company in a weekend competition. And there was plenty of people who told me this is the stupidest idea ever. And I was like, so so I'm getting that same advice that you're getting. Right. And I was like, yeah, I, here's why I think it's it's not. And they're like, nope, the area doesn't want it. They're not interested, whatever, yada, yada, yada. And it ended up being a successful event that we did five times and 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 did wonders for me. So, it, you know, Sometimes. it can work in that situation. Uh, what's interesting is another event where everyone told me to do. And I kind of went in a situation like you did where I was just like, let's just go drop anchor, Tim. Mm-hmm. Um, that event, which everyone was like, this is, this is exactly what we need. It was complete BS and it flopped. And I lost a ton of money on that because I listened to a bunch of people in that case to do this thing that was way too big to start. I needed to yeah. do a way smaller. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, it can go the opposite way too. And you could still be flipping houses these days. Do you ever miss those days? Do you ever want to get back into that? Uh, no, absolutely not. Give me a bit of PTSD. Uh, oh, well, sorry. The, <laughs> no, no, not you. Like that, that whole industry. Um, I don't want to be the reason for this. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, the, I would say the quality of people that I meet in cybersecurity and specifically SaaS and like 
this kind of entrepreneurship is vastly different than the type of people that any type of person I pretty much met doing real estate. So it's way more refreshing doing what I'm doing now. And I enjoy it a lot more. I'm way more technical and I enjoy it. That's what I realized. Like when I was laying in my bed, like, I don't want to get up today. It's like, well, okay, I guess that's it. This is the rest of my life. It's like, everyone gets to that point. And I was like, after a while that I was like, what do I really like? It's like you know what? I really like that math thing. I really like that coding thing. Maybe I should just do that. And I had nothing to lose. So I went back to it. Were you just saying that you didn't want to wake up today to go on this show? No, no. All right, I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> no, that when I was, uh, I knew, home. I knew you weren't. I was messing with you. It's, it's the thing I do to triplets. <laughs> you have a lot of those on the show. Nope, first one that I know of. <laughs> now it's a pattern, right? What with your business? Did you uh, have you bootstrapped this, or do you did you raise any money? Yeah, I bootstrapped it for probably the first two years, uh, and then last September we raised uh, half a million dollars from some really really cool people that i really enjoy so we were bootstrapped and now we're not interesting and, well, uh, and, and then and like with your being SaaS right now is are you are you considered default alive in terms of are you bringing in enough revenue to uh to maintain the business or yeah you know, how are you how are you using the the capital that you raised today all of it's going towards uh marketing pretty much so we're almost almost default alive. Uh, but we have a bunch of money in the bank that we raised last year and at the beginning of this year. So we'll be fine. Uh, I've seen a lot of that going around Twitter. But a yeah. April of last year, though, you were, I think it was April of last year, you were almost belly up. Oh, yeah. There was, a, there was a point where we probably had three or four, like when we were bootstrapping initial people who like, like we talked about people who don't pay, customers who don't pay aren't customers earlier. Um, they were willing to pay and they were willing to be those first adopters, even though they knew that it was me in my parents' basement and my co-founder, like that was it. It was just us two. Uh, and then we making a few thousand a month in revenue at that point, and then had a service outage that all of our alerting failed, like probably four or five different levels of alerting to know that things weren't happening as they should failed. We didn't catch it till the last day of the month, which is we bill on a monthly cycle. So we had to, tell all of our partners, which was like, we already had tenuous relationships with because they were brand new and they knew that they were taking a risk, that their risk had just been quantified because it didn't work. Um, and we couldn't bill them for any of the activity. We, we didn't feel right doing that. So we didn't. And the, the bad part is we were going to use that revenue to pay for my co-founder's mortgage because he had stepped away from his job to start working full time. And he didn't know if he was going to be able to make his mortgage payments anymore because we had no more revenue, no more money. Uh, so it was a really tough time for a bit there. You you actually bill them monthly or do, is it automatically recurring? Uh, I actually bill them now, but we're building the recurring usage-based billing right now, like through Stripe and Chargebee. Huh. Um, but so I actually you, do bill them. Interesting. I feel like um, my... The, the camera company that I use in my house sometimes should uh, email me and call me and tell me that my cameras are down um, and I shouldn't have to pay for that every month. Uh, look at your... Uh, I probably shouldn't have said that live, but... Um, if, you, if you signed a contract with them, there's often a uh, uh, like a service level agreement that will, at penalty of outage, reduce the premiums you pay. We have that, and so do many, many, many software companies do as well, and it might just have been tucked away. 
allegedly my um the recycling in my city is about to go away and for some mm. reason they didn't come last week and i told my wife last night i was like so everyone in the neighborhood has literally had the recycling bin sitting out there for a week and i'm like i'm calling them and i want 25 percent off i don't know i don't even care how much it is i want that 25 percent off because you guys didn't come and do what you're supposed to do this yeah. is ridiculous yeah wouldn't you want that money? I mean, I can get a Chipotle burrito for that. <laughs> That's all that matters. It me- measured in Chipotle burritos. Yeah, I guess they just offered me free guacamole, and I already get the veggie. So it's like, come on, I already get free guacamole. Give me something of, of give me of some power and substance. Yeah, absolutely. Tim's like, you're ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> no, I yeah. Anyway, I I am curious. Heavy sigh. I digress. Yeah, heavy sigh. Um. With all that, I think that you've got some really solid building blocks, though, in terms of uh, building a, a strong future. I mean, you've you've learned a lot along the way, um, especially when so I mean, there's just a lot of people out there that they've never even started a business. Um, and you've man, you've learned a lot along the way. Where do you where do you see things in the future for you? Definitely still in the tech space doing something. Um I, you know, as any software entrepreneur will tell you in the process of building this business and where we are, we have a bunch of clients now. So as I talk with them, they're telling me about other problems that they have. And then I'm able to combine that with not only the lessons I've learned, but information that I gather from advisors and other areas. So it's like I have a list in my phone of like a hundred different problems that I could be solving right now, but I'm Mm. not because I want to focus on this. It's like, all right, well, I'll just keep doing those. I'll figure out one of those uh until uh forever forever i'll just keep doing that how many advisors do you have now and how do you treat advisors differently than going back to the to the house flipping days um so in the house flipping days i you, guess the, you, you didn't listen to your advisors yeah, so yeah how do you how do you treat that relationship now with it with, with advisors uh nowadays there's uh expectations there's compensation uh, directly to the advisor, whether that's options, equity, monetary mm. compensation on whatever schedule. And then there's an expectation of we're going to meet. I get to set meetings on these regular bases or uh, what my co-founder actually came up with, which might be really good advice for everyone is make it project based. So we brought on certain advisors that were not only in the industry, we wanted to either play in or were already playing in. And we said, hey, we really need your help in this area. And we see that you're an expert. So for instance, one is like, um, uh, connecting all of your tools together uh, and making sure you can feed data from your platform into not only the other tools you're connected to, but your HubSpot and your CRM. And we're like, you did that for this company. Can you come in and do that for us as well? Because we don't have the resources to do it right now. And we really need that. Uh, whereas others, it's like general industry advice. It's, you're connected to thousands of potential customers. Can you connect us with a few of them right now so we can learn and then get exposed to the rest of them? Uh, expectations, clarify expectations is probably the shortest thing that I should have said. That's awesome. I mean, I, I mean, uh, and the, the fact that you invest in yourself, you invest in your business, that you, uh, I, I always commend people that use their uh, their vulnerabilities as a strength. And, and I, to me, I don't think enough people do that. Yeah. Well, it's pretty easy to do when you don't feel like you got strengths in any area. Imposter syndrome is huge uh, in this industry. Not only me, you know, struggle with it, my co-founder, but Every single entrepreneur I've ever talked to is like, oh, yeah, like I remember struggling with that and having to go through. It's like, why me? Like, 
why am I the person to do this? Uh, and one of my advisors, uh, he's, I, I call him an advisor. He's just a really, really good friend of mine. Uh, he said, you know, the only people that struggle with imposter syndrome are typically capable people. It's like, so the fact that you're struggling with it is a sign to me that you'll probably just get through this and you need to stop worrying about it. I was like, hmm. All right. Yeah, I think you're right. It's not going to make the feeling go away, but I'll start acting differently. You, you talked about depression yeah. several years ago. Uh, did it immediately hit when you lost all that money? And how did you kind of push through it? So the interesting thing about real estate is you dig a hole and the only way to get to the other side is to keep digging the hole. Because <laughs> yeah, once you bought the project, you've sunk the cost. You make and lose all your money when you buy the home, not when you flip it. Uh, so I didn't realize when I bought the home that I was going to lose all that money till about a few months in. And at that point, there was about nine months left in the project to go. It's a huge deal. It was probably the biggest uh, project I had done at that point. Um, and so right when I knew it was going to be a loss and then I knew of other things that were just going to keep stacking up like expenses I was going to have to pay. So I just didn't, that's when the depression hit. And I probably had about six months of having to still uh, deal with the fact that I still owned this property. I still needed to pay contractors. I needed to go find money somewhere else to complete the flip or I'd lose everything, not just a hundred grand. Uh, and that, that was the hardest part uh, was knowing that I had to keep digging the hole and the hole was already like, I was already in the hole. Couldn't even see the sun anymore. I was that deep uh, and still had to keep digging. And what did you get through it though? Uh, after a few months of that, I woke up one morning. I was like, you know, feeling this way is not going to, not going to change any of the outcomes that I'm going to be able to produce, not only in this project, but in life in general. It's like, I'm going to have way bigger failures than this. My family members are going to get sick. Some There's going to be a death in the family. It's like something's going to happen. It's like, I can let this define how I'm going to live right now and impact what I'm going to do in the future. It's like, or I can just get up and take control of what I can actually control uh, and admit where I'm out of control and not let it worry me anymore. Uh, like literally night and day, one day after about six months, I just woke up one morning. And my, I was over it. I was completely done and just mm. woke up and got after it. Yeah, that's deep. I, and I, I think that that's an area in entrepreneurship that a lot of people don't talk about. Um, but it's real. It, it is the loneliest thing I've ever done. I'll, I'll phrase it like that. Is that an sure. embarrassment thing, Tim? There's embarrassed. They don't want to share it. They don't want to. What, do what are your thoughts? I think on that, that there may be, uh, be some degree to that. And I think that, uh, I mean, that's one thing that I've I've personally tried to to change the mindset of people is uh, is not looking at failure as something to be embarrassed about and yeah you know, I try to flip it in the sense of hey man if you're not failing you're not trying hard enough and, and almost wear it as not wearing it almost as a badge of honor in the sense of but people shouldn't be penalized. I mean, what entrepreneur or, hasn't gone through that? The but, entrepreneurs. The fake one. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Because there is that social media, Instagram type of effect, man, that everyone's just posting the best part of their life. And then like, and when you surround yourself with something like that, man, you're like, dude, I, I got to make some things happen so that we can make payroll. Um, I got You know, how am I going to dig myself out of this project? I mean, it's just, that's where I think that you need that support system so that you can turn to, to say, Hey man, I need, I need, pull me out of this because, uh, not that I just help, help me get out of this 
dark spot that I'm in right now. Well, I mean, they're selling um, something in that case that is is not real in many of these cases. They're 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 they want people to think that they're something different. Like I look, obviously, we do this show once a week, and 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 we talk a lot on these things. But from an actual like posting thing online like i don't post a lot of things but when i do like i try to tell the real story the last post that i can think of that i wrote um was back in what november when i uh i quit that marathon race right yeah. like to me like that, that's the last thing and so for people to be you know most people's uh, thing is a celebration of a run oh i did sure. this thing i'm i'm great yada yada yeah. yada whatever and i sat and there the and I was like, yeah i was like yo like I wanted that outcome and I was pretty damn close, but I quit two and a half miles from my finish line. And I want you guys to realize that. And yeah. like this thing actually does happen. Um, that's just not super easy to lose sight on. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, well, cause you see it over and over again. It's just scroll. It's all positivity. Right. It's like, yo, that ain't life. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's like, uh, Dude, I mean, how many lines of code do you think that you've written in your lifetime, Connor? I mean, I'm sure it's just thousands and thousands and thousands. And there's probably a lot of pain you had to go through in order to get that initial baseline product from that zero to an almost one. Yeah, there there was a there was a period probably for about three months where it was me in my parents' basement in a room that I would lock so my brothers wouldn't bother me uh, for about 16 hours a day. And me and a brick of Coors Light. And I just coded a what of Coors Light brick, a brick. That sounds exciting. Uh, and I would just sit in their basement for three months in a row. Like nobody saw me pretty much. My fiance was like, uh, yo, like, what's going on? Are you okay? And I just knew it was like, I need to teach myself enough code and just, I need to get this to a state where somebody else is going to be interested enough to work with me. Uh, it took about three months and then I came up for air. And was like, oh, I need to go listen. I need to go talk to more people now because I had something. That's an important part of the journey. I mean, that's really, to me, that's really important. So five years from now, when you've 10X, 100X or whatever it is that you're going to do, you know I mean? And people are like, oh, man, look at Connor, da, 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 da. You know, it's just like, dude, I locked myself in a basement for three months with a, a brick of Coors Light. You know, that, don't forget about that part. There is... Uh... A lot of struggle involved, and I was Were the only recycling? one. <laughs> uh, in Delaware, it's so in Delaware, like recycling's fake. It all just goes to. I think that's like the dirty secret at Delaware. It's like even though there are recycling bins, it all just goes to the same place. So, what I'll um, say yes, but it doesn't. What what, what is the, what's the startup scene like in Delaware? Where and and where do you go to attend events yeah. or to meet for meetups and that kind of thing? The startup scene, I think. One of the reasons Zach, I interested Zach was, I was like, I'm one of like three startups. I'm like the only startup I know of in Delaware. There's actually like three of us maybe. Um, and uh, the startup scene does not really exist, save for there's a guy I went to college with named Mo, who's trying to do a startup community here. I'm actually Friday. He has an event in Wilmington. So I'll be driving a bunch of people from the college here uh, to Wilmington. But I had to go to DC for advisors, Florida for money. Uh, New York for advisors. There was and and like nobody in Delaware. I'm in like there's like first, second, and third tier investment markets. I'm like ninth tier market. I'm in Joe Schmo, Delaware. Like nobody nobody knows about that uh, in 
in entrepreneurship. So well, I well, the I'm thing wrong. is, though, man, ever, I don't I don't want to generalize here, but there are a lot of people in this area. You know, they they think that they're in a ninth tier market, you know, and, and you found a way to make it happen. Uh, yeah. And I would say that from the sounds of it, that this area is a lot more mature and there's a lot more opportunity um, than than what you were up against. But you found a way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I also, you know, starting starting this business, the best way to get customers is to meet them in person at events. I started, we started doing things the very next week after COVID lockdown started, but we didn't know that the only way to meet people was through events too. So it's like the, the, the sign for like a real entrepreneur when I would meet them in college and they're like, Oh, I'm in the entrepreneurship program was like, Oh, like, well, what are you struggling with today? And what are you trying to do? That's not working because everyone can go to school and class and do well. It's like, you just got to put in the effort. It's like, in order to be an entrepreneur, you got to find something you got to struggle with it. And you got to get over that. Uh, and, uh, that's yeah, that's all that I did. I, was, I'm just, I just thought I was going to make it work because it's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to go back to Chick-fil-A and work. Didn't want to go back to work for anybody else. Didn't want to get a PhD. Didn't want any of that. I just wanted to do my own thing and help people. Yeah, I sure do want Chick-fil-A for lunch. It's delicious. They make some good food for sure, but I don't. I didn't like working for them. Yeah, man, I don't, don't got to work for them to like it. You know? Yeah. Feels like you go to church every time you sit in there. So you, you feel I mean, good. I always crave it on Sundays. I mean, that's the worst part. Yeah. Fun fact: I once picked up Tim from a Chick Fil A parking lot. We were not friends at that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have a couple Chick Fil A stories. Because we also used to go to Chick Fil A just to, and you would see how many times you can get a, a, a my pleasure out of the people mm-hmm. at the counter. Mm-hmm. A lot of them. Thank I you. can't remember sure. what the number I think, was, but it I was think impressive. eleven. I think eleven with one order. Yeah. Why are you gonna tell people my baggage, Tim? Make yeah, me look look ridiculous. So I was advised. Um, I don't know if that's the right word, but I was uh, I was talking to a client the other day, and they're like, "Do you watch Young Rock?" And I was like, "Surprisingly, no." I mean, obviously, I got the Rock poster behind me. I just never got into it. I never started watching it. Obviously. Um, we're talking about Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He has his own show on, I guess, NBC. And uh, I guess I didn't realize, even though it's called Young Rock, how much of what, from a wrestling perspective, they would talk about or like his life, even though it, clearly thinking about that now, it, like, duh, that's like what the whole damn show's about. So I recently started watching it. It's actually fantastic. Uh, it's probably only fantastic for wrestling fans, I would think. Maybe not. But it's, it's interesting to hear... Um, the rock talk through some of his uh, life uh, experiences. And he was uh, this one made me think of, of you Connor in this situation where he's uh, fishing after not making the NFL and he's in Canada at the mm-hmm. Canadian football league. And he's fishing with uh, one of his teammates and he has no money. He's making 55 bucks a week, a month, something like that. And he goes fishing with this guy. And uh, when he's trying to uh, reel in the uh, the fish, he breaks the rod because he's so strong. And he's so mad. And he looks at his teammate. He's like, I can't help you. And it was interesting because the teammate goes, it's just a thing. It'll be okay. And that, that was it. It's just a thing. And, I, and, and I'm doing very bad um, job of explaining this. <laughs> but... In the moment, it was like, oh, that's that's really powerful. It, you know, that you you broke this thing. It's it, it'll be fine. You know, get over it. It reminds me of 
former Duke coach, um, Coach K, because I can't say or spell his last name. Um, his whole thing is next play, right? Like bad thing happened, move on to the next play. And so yeah. it's like we we get so infatuated with these scenarios or this thing. It's just like, is it really that big of a deal? No, it's just the thing. Oh, you failed, whatever. On to the next, right? Just learn from that lesson. And I um, I really just wanted uh, Andrew to clip this out of, of me talking about The Rock and how I'm watching a show. Because um, <laughs> Tim's talk about clips all day, and I haven't said a thing about clips. And it's just like, come on, like let, let, let's go. But you get a clip now, too. And he probably won't clip it, but that's fine. He probably shouldn't. He's like, this guy's the <laughs> disaster. This is terrible. But they're all just things. That's it. They are. True. This too what, shall uh, pass is what my grandfather yeah. says. There you go. It's good. So Zach looks to The Rock for inspiration. Who do you look to uh, for inspiration? or, or And then follow up to that with podcasts do you typically listen to? Uh, you could have probably guessed this, Zach. I listen to a lot of – I listen to Joe Rogan's podcast, but specifically – I'm not a big into like the comedian stuff that he brings on the comedians. He brings sometimes I'll whatever, but I like when he brings on experts in certain areas like doctors and I'll listen to an actual conversation. I also listen to how I built this, uh, started listening to you guys. I listened to Saster, uh, a bunch, uh, and that's pretty much all I got time for. I don't do a lot of driving. Uh, I do a lot yeah. of, yeah. Lex Friedman's pretty good as well, but man, that uh, those are like three, four hours long, just like Joe Rogan is. It's uh, so but a lot of times that's the situation to actually get context out of something that right. you need, right? Right. You and so we're we're form. we're in this immediacy world where you want it in one screenshot or one ninety second uh, story on the news. You know, former you know news guy, I have a journalism degree. Like it's really hard to tell. It's really hard to tell deep stories in 90 seconds. It's really hard to tell that in five minutes. Yeah. And here we are trying to tell complex stories in, 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 a, in a couple of seconds. That's disaster transport. There's room for nuance and everything. Uh, and I think when, when people try to say there's not, it's like you're trying to simplify a thing that probably doesn't need to be simplified just yet. We need to talk all about, we need to talk about all of this. It's usually not as black and white as people want it to be, too. It's like, yeah, yeah. this thing can't be fixed super easily this way. Like, right. let's really deep dive into that. Absolutely. Totally. Agree. I don't I don't really watch Joe Rogan that much. Um, I think the last time I watched Joe Rogan was the Undertaker interview. Maybe like two years ago. <laughs> I feel like and that was the first that. time they came out with um, their video platform and it was terrible. Mm. Are they still doing video? The yeah. like on Spotify. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, on Spotify. Hmm, that's cool. Well, good for you, Spotify. Well, they paid for it. They paid a lot for it. I'm sure they made their money back. And if they didn't, that sucks. <laughs> Connor, what's something we haven't talked about that you want to talk about? Uh, dang, I can't really think of anything. Uh, All right. Best way to get in touch uh, with you for cybersecurity needs? LinkedIn. Uh, just if you go to actually that website, every form on that website goes directly to my inbox, even the contact forms. Um, if you find me on LinkedIn, just Connor Swalm, or if you find me on Twitter, Twitter, Connor Swalm 14. Uh, I troll those on a regular basis. So you can find me. That's just a, that's just a classic startup thing though, man. Every, every startup, all the forms go to the founder. Oh yeah. Um, 
until uh, recently. So we hired a bunch of developers and then we just hired our partner success manager so that I didn't have to do it, all the sales and de- and some yeah. development. And like, And now it's like, okay, I still do all the sales. It's like, damn. It's, like, it's one of mean, those comical things, man. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I, I didn't want to, you know, it's like, man, I have really strong relationships with clients or whatever, you know, <laughs> and, and just the relationships are everything. That business yeah. revolves around, but then it's just like, Dude, I don't want to jeopardize the relationship that we have. So then, you know, next year, finance at dot, yeah. dot, you know, and so that way uh, invoices come from the, the finance department of uh, me. Um, just, yeah. it's, I think it's, it's, it's funny. It's a classic thing. And um, I knew we no were shame in that game. No, not at all. <laughs> no I, I knew we were growing, Tim, when I looked at our CRM. And I saw that we had a client and I looked at the client's name and the people who were like the business. And I was like, I have no idea who this is. That's not that great. I went into our Those... Google drive, looked at the contract. I was like, yeah, they're, that's a real client. They're paying that's, us real that's money. That's awesome. That is, you know, and that's the thing. Zach and I are always telling people, man, celebrate your successes, no matter how small they may seem. That's a big win. That yeah. is a big, big win. Yeah. Uh, when you When you have a customer that you don't know, you don't know how they came there. Like I don't, I, people don't celebrate enough. Like Tim just said, <laughs> but like in this situation, like it's like, yo, like something's it, working. It yeah, something in there worked. Now figure right. out what that was and see if you can replicate it. Like let's I go. Tell you, tell you what though, I immediately emailed the contact and I said, hey, I just want to introduce myself. <laughs> but he immediately went right in to try to make a relationship. And then I talked with our partner success manager, and I was like, oh, I totally just stepped on your toes, didn't I? He's like. Yeah. And I was like, my bad. I was like, I'll bring you back into the loop. I was like, this is your, I don't want to keep doing this. This is your job. You do this uh, for sure. Um, that advice, Zach, though, like celebrate the small wins. I asked, uh, he's an investor and I asked him for a lot of advice. He manages a family office in DC. Uh, and I was like, what is the one thing you regret about all the C- the startups you did? It's like, I care more about not the people's wins. It's their failures. Cause that's where they learn everything. He's like, you know what? We had a, wonderful exit in the last company that I did. It's like, I made more money than I ever thought I would enough success that I could go do other stuff. I was like, what did you regret? He said, I regret not celebrating more often. It's like, yeah. we'd hit a, we'd, we'd hit a, uh, like a milestone and I, all right, guys, we got to keep pounding next milestones yeah. right there. And he's so like, we hit a while back, like a hundred, a hundred K in ARR, uh, which is a, everyone 83, three per month in revenue. And, uh, he's like, so where are you taking the guys out to dinner? I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, we got work to do. He's like, you're going to regret it if you don't do this. And I'm going to tell you, he's like, go spend some money, go out, get some drinks, yeah. have like, yeah. take them to a nice place, not McDonald's and take your entire team Chick-fil-A. and say, Hey, yeah, Chick-fil-A. We've done a great thing here. We, you know, we have more to do, but let's stop for today. Let's celebrate yeah. together. Let's take stock of where we are and let's have fun. It so makes things that. meaningful. Right. If you don't, if you don't do that, you're like, what the hell am I doing? Like so. I celebrate, like you know, I haven't done this in a while because I haven't had a good run in a while. However, like I'll even celebrate good runs where I'm like, "Wow, that was a that was a really good run." I'm I'm glad I did that. That's right. You know, I'm gonna go get myself an apple fritter. I'm gonna <laughs> go get myself an apple fritter. I am want to celebrate not driving off with my shoes on my Jeep today. Let's dude, start that habit. Lesson yeah. learned, man. Does you got to put them on the hood, dude? You can't put them on the roof. Put them on the hood. Hmm. Exactly. If I put them on the hood, Tim, it might damage the paint. And then I have to 
deal with on that. Saturday, Sunday, whenever I did this, I texted Tim and I said, uh, I can't find my shoes. I think I drove off with them. Did you find them? Nope. And I went everywhere. <laughs> They're and gone. I usually, I, it's happened like five or six times, but I usually find them. <laughs> you found a new pair in your uh, mailbox yesterday. I, I did yesterday. I've not. It might be wet out. I don't know that I'm running today, but I don't know how I'm going to find these shoes. I want to at least find them. I want to see them running over. I want you to like, find at least one. Yeah, just. I don't. I hope that someone actually just like found them and now is running in a pair of shoes with 142 miles on them. They got a lot of rubber left on those things, but it's okay. Connor, appreciate your time today. It's been fun, and um, we'll chat soon. I'm Thanks sure for listening, y'all. Subscribe. Thanks, exactly. Download this episode. Share it. You know, do all the good stuff. Peace. Awesome.